right, well, good morning, everybody. Um, welcome to Redemption Church this morning. Um, as we get ready to celebrate uh, a week of Thanksgiving, glad that you guys are here with us this morning. Um, this morning, we are continuing through our series called Before All Things, where we have been looking uh, out of the book of Colossians as what does it mean or what does it look like for a life to be saturated by the good news of Jesus Christ? What does it look like if your life, if my life is our life as a, as a community of faith, what does it look like if our lives are saturated by the gospel? So that's what we've been talking about over the last few weeks, uh, various topics, various different things. This morning we're dealing with the topic of uh, gospel fluency, which I will dive into here in just a second. Um, but before we get started, let me pray for us and we'll move on. Holy Father, thank you for the opportunity we've had to be present, to sing together, to, to, uh, to pray together, to be in fellowship together. And Holy Father, even now as we begin to look at your word, as we begin to talk about what you would have for us, we begin to talk about the gospel and what it means for our life to be saturated by that. Holy Father, I pray that you would be at work speaking to our hearts and minds. I pray that you would be honored and glorified through our time, that Christ would be lifted high so that we would be drawn to you. Holy Father, I recognize that my words are of little importance, but your words are of utmost importance. So God, I pray that you would use me as an instrument of your grace and mercy, an instrument of your love and the gospel, that you would be glorified and that we would receive great joy. Holy Father, I ask this in the name of your precious Son, our Savior, Jesus. Amen. We get started this morning and, and we dive into this topic of gospel fluency. Uh, let me encourage you as a follow-up to what I'm going to talk about this morning, that there are a few different people that you can check out uh, who have written extensively about the gospel, about gospel fluency. Um, and who have greatly impacted my understanding of some of these things. Uh, one of those people is Elise Fitzpatrick. If you're not familiar with her, she is an author. She's written some incredible books. Tim Keller and uh, Jeff Vanderstelt. You can look all those people up online, find out about their books, sermons, all, all kinds of different things. But when you hear the word gospel, what is it that you think about? What comes to mind? Like if, it's, if I say the word gospel... What comes to mind, is it one of the first four books of the Old Testament, like Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are the Gospels? You think about sharing the Gospel with someone such that they hear the plan of salvation from you? Maybe that's what you think about when you hear the word Gospel. Do you think about what the Gospel means, as in it's the good news? Do you think about a particular style of music? Like, when you hear the word Gospel, what comes to mind? I, I, in reality, I think when we hear the word Gospel, we probably... Uh, all bring sort of our own spin to that word as it relates to what it means. We, we probably think we grasp it. We probably think we understand some sense of it at least. But maybe, just maybe, we need to keep examining it. Maybe, just maybe, we need to keep diving into the reality and the richness of the gospel. Maybe we need to understand the gospel and view it like we would a precious stone or a diamond, where when you look at it and you hold it up to the light, you can see the way the light reflects and refracts and bends and how it 
is affected by that stone. Someone has said that the gospel is a pool in which a child can wade and an elephant can swim. Right? The, the reality is that I think that we often don't go far enough in our examination of the gospel and that we might just need to think bigger about it. Several years ago, uh, I had the opportunity to go on several different mission trips to Romania. Uh, and specifically when I was there working with orphanages. And the last time I was there, it was winter, and I was a part of a small group of people who were traveling around this one large county in the center of Romania, going to orphanages and helping to plan summer camps for these kids who were in these government institutions, right? So you'd get them out uh, of the institution for a week during the summer. They would go to a Christ-centered summer camp, Really, uh, some really cool stuff. There were just four or five of us on this trip, and we maybe spent 10 days traveling around Romania, staying in different places, going to different orphanages. And I had been to Romania before, so I I had some sense of the language. I had some sense of the culture. Uh, It wasn't new to me. But for those 10 days, with just such a small group of people and traveling around doing all this stuff, I was just completely immersed in Romanian culture, the Romanian language. And at the end of my time there... I remember being so proud of all the words that I had picked up and the sentences that I could utter and the ways that I could communicate in Romanian. And then one day it hit me that a Romanian toddler had a better grasp of Romanian grammar and vocabulary and language than I did, and I didn't really know that much. It really would not have been a good thing for me to go into Romanian culture thinking that I had a grasp of the language when I really wasn't proficient at anything, right? If I had stuck around in that culture for longer, I could have learned more. If I had immersed myself in that language daily over a long period of time, then after several years, maybe I could have become fluent in Romanian. But knowing a few words, right, is is far from being fluent. This idea of complete immersion in order to become fluent in something, I think actually shows up in the book of Colossians. I think it's there, but it's not about becoming fluent in a language. It's about becoming fluent in the gospel. So uh, Colossians 3.16, if we look at Colossians 3.16, like I said, which is where this series has sort of come from, the book of Colossians. Colossians 3.16 says this, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Right? Let the word of Christ dwell in you, teaching, admonishing, producing wisdom, singing, being thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you. The word of Christ, I think, The way we should interpret that here out of Colossians is simply as the gospel, right? The gospel is the story of what God has done for us that we could not do for ourselves, right? The plot line of Scripture is the gospel, creation, fall, redemption, new creation, recreation. That's that's what we talk about when we talk about the gospel story, all of Scripture, all that God has done to redeem his people and to recreate them. 
That's the story of the entire Bible, even past the book of Revelation, as we're looking for the ultimate consummation of that recreation. That's the story that culminates and finds its fulfillment in Christ. And this idea of the gospel dwelling in you and producing wisdom is gospel fluency. That's taking the truth of the gospel and having it affect every area of your life such that wisdom is produced in the way we think and act and respond and evaluate. And so this morning, I'm going to do just two things. I'm going to spend a little bit of time talking about the gospel and diving into it because I want to make sure that we grasp a really big picture of the gospel. And then I want to take a moment and talk about gospel fluency and what it means to be fluent in the gospel. By its very definition, the gospel of Jesus Christ is good news. The word gospel is evangelion, and that word was literally news. In, in Greek, that word literally was meant to be news about a big event, right? about a victory in war, about the ascension of a king, about something dramatic that happened that would change the listener's condition and would, would, would require them to respond in some way, right? So it would have been common for there to be a gospel, a good news about a Roman victory in war, or good news about a new emperor coming into power, or good news about something else going on. That's the gospel. That's evangelion, good news of a great historical event. But Jesus enters the world with a different kind of good news. Jesus enters the world with the message that God has come to earth to provide a means of salvation, to transform hearts and lives and to transform individuals and to eventually renew the whole world in the way that God intended it to be, right? So those are the three aspects of the good news that I want to make sure that we grasp real quickly. Number one, the gospel is the good news of God's gracious acceptance of us. The gospel is the good news of changed lives. And the gospel is the good news of recreation. Right? So first, the good news of gracious acceptance. Jesus lived the life that we should live, but that we could not. He paid the penalty we owe for the rebellious life that we do, in fact, live. Right? We, we know that Adam and Eve sinned in the garden after God created them and placed them there. And every person since has inherited the sinful nature of Adam and Eve. And we are all sinful by our actions. Therefore, we are all sinners, both by nature and by the way we act. But the good news of gracious acceptance is that Jesus paid the penalty on our behalf. Right? We are not reconciled to God through our efforts, through our record, but through the efforts and the record of Christ. And Christians who trust in God for their salvation, for their standing, rather than in their own performance, in their own character, in their own commitment, are simultaneously both sinful and accepted. Tim Keller puts it this way when he says, we are more flawed and sinful than we ever dared believe, 
yet we are more loved and accepted than we ever dared hope. All at the same time. Gracious acceptance. We're accepted by the work of Christ and the work of Christ alone. That's the good news of the gospel. Second is the good news of changed lives. In Colossians 3.3, Paul says this, Your life is hidden with Christ in God. Right, so on the one hand, that means that the Father accepts us in Christ and treats us as if we had done all that Jesus had done. His life is credited to us. But on the other hand, that means that Christ, through the Holy Spirit, is changing us to be like Him, that we're being transformed to be like Jesus. And so the gospel is not just a truth about us that we affirm with our minds. It is also a reality that we accept in our hearts and souls, and a reality that changes us, changes everything. Let me give you an example. In 2 Corinthians 8, 8 through 9, Paul is calling the Corinthian believers to be generous and to give a gift to those who need it, to give to those who need it. And this is what Paul says, I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. So when Paul uses this statement here, when Paul says this, he uses a powerful image about the Lord of the universe coming to earth in poverty. And he brings the salvation that Jesus offers. He brings the gospel message into the realm of money and wealth and poverty. And he says, think on this costly grace that cost Jesus so much. Remember this grace that cost Jesus so much until you are changed by that very grace, by that very gospel. And so what Paul says is that the solution to a lack of generosity is a reorientation to the generosity of Christ and the gospel message that he, for our sake, became poor. And he exchanged his wealth for poverty, right? The gospel is the good news that Jesus can change us, that we don't have to be like we are. The gospel is the good news that Christ is at work to change us, to be like him. And part of the way that happens is that in us, in our hearts and minds, in our souls, that there is a reorientation to the gospel. And that's what we'll talk about with gospel fluency in a minute. Generosity is just one example of that. But the gospel clearly has implications in all other areas of life. It's the good news of changed lives that we don't have to be like we are. Third, the gospel is the good news of recreation. Right? I, a minute ago I stated that the plot line of Scripture is creation, fall, redemption, recreation. And this frames the reality of the gospel in a whole new way. Because the gospel is not then just about individual happiness and fulfillment and fire insurance. The gospel is not just about me. It's not just a wonderful plan for me. The gospel is a plan to change the world. To recreate. It's about the ultimate fulfillment of Jesus' promise to renew everything, to make all things new. Christ wins our salvation through losing. 
He achieves power through weakness and service and comes to wealth by giving it all away. So those who receive the salvation of Jesus are not the strong and the accomplished, but those who admit that they are weak and lost. And this pattern creates an alternate way for us to understand what it means to be human. This pattern creates an alternate way of life in which there is a complete reversal of the values of the world when it comes to power and wealth and status and recognition. The the reversal of the cross liberates us from those things. The gospel creates a people that have a, a radically different way of living and being human. Racial and class superiority, accrual of money and power at the expense of others, yearning for popularity and recognition, all these things of, are, are, are marks of living in the world and are opposite of the mindset of Christ. Believers are recreated in the image of Christ, and Christ will one day redeem all of creation into a new heaven and a new earth, right? It's the gospel is the good news of gracious acceptance. The gospel is the, the good news of changed lives and hearts and minds. The gospel is the good news of recreation. So when we talk about the gospel, that's what we're talking about. We're talking about this huge meta-narrative that frames everything around Jesus and what God has done for us that we could never do for ourselves. That's the gospel. Impactful for every area of life. Having to say something about every area of life. We talk about gospel fluency. We're talking about us as believers, us as a community of faith, us as a church, coming to the point where we begin to interpret and understand and evaluate all of life through the lens of the gospel. It's becoming fluent in the gospel in such a way that we think and feel and see and react and evaluate and examine through the language of the gospel, such such that the gospel is our heart language. It's what we think and feel and evaluate through. That's Gospel fluency. My kids will turn uh, uh, 11 and 13 about a month from now. I can hardly believe it. I remember when they were born. I was so young back then. Right, and I love my girls deeply, but they're growing up. And that's, that's a little sad. Um, my girls have been taking violin lessons since they were three or four years old. And uh, they haven't always been happy about that, Uh, but they've become quite good at it, and it's kind of remarkable, quite frankly. Um, Here's the thing, though. The way they learn to play violin is is pretty unique. Um, I I took piano lessons when I was a kid, and I did not learn this way. Um, I can't play the piano now at all. But the way that my kids learned to play the violin was through a, a method, a means, called the Suzuki Method of music learning. And the Suzuki method of music learning is, is simply this. A child learns to speak before they learn to read and write. We, we know this inherently. Their mother tongue, their heart language, comes to them simply because of the environment that they exist within, because they are surrounded and immersed in their native language, be it English or some other language, right? Their mother tongue comes to them simply because of where they are what they're surrounded by. And so that same idea is used to teach music. And so the kids start to learn music by hearing, by ear, rather than by learning notes on a page. 
and interpreting those notes into something. These kids learn the strings of the violin and the sounds the violin makes, and they replicate those sounds over and over and over and over and over and over and over. As they listen and practice, they're constantly, yeah, anyway, over and over and over, they replicate those sounds and they learn the language of music. And they know the sound of a musical scale before they ever see those notes represented on a page. And their first few years learning music is a complete immersion in the language of music. And then one day, they're presented with a sheet of music. They're presented with notes on a page. And it takes no effort to take those notes and to interpret them and to apply them to the skill of pulling a bow across a violin and making music, right? It's perfectly natural at that point for them to take what they're seeing and apply it to the situation of reading that music and making music. You got it? It's all because they were immersed in the language before they ever had to apply it. That's gospel fluency. So when Paul says in Colossians 3.16, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. What is it that Paul is calling us to do? He's calling us to immerse ourselves in the word of Christ. He's calling us to immerse ourselves in the language of the gospel that it becomes our heart language, our native tongue. He's calling us to completely inundate our lives with the gospel, right? For us as believers, gospel fluency is not going to come about just by coming to church on Sundays or even at Redemption Church being a part of a missional community or a DNA group. Gospel fluency is going to come about by immersing ourselves into a gospel-speaking culture. Right? It begins with the work of Christ on our behalf, but then it gets worked out within the context of community where the gospel is constantly being rehearsed and spoken to one another and encouraging one another into that gospel. And then it gets exposed to a world that needs to hear about Jesus. Right? Does that sound familiar? In the language of redemption, for a long time we've said we're about gospel community mission, leading people to Jesus to lead people to Jesus. Gospel fluency, right? The way that we as a people, the way that we as a church are going to become gospel fluent is by repeating the gospel to ourselves regularly within community, preaching the gospel to ourselves, rehearsing it together. Our Sunday morning gatherings, our times in missional communities, our DNA groups, our times serving together, our times in relationship, all of these times together, rehearsing the gospel, repeating the gospel Constantly helping one another apply the gospel to all of life. That's how we become gospel-fluent people. Just this week, Trulia Newbell, who is an author and speaker that I greatly admire, uh, tweeted this, build gospel muscle. The more we preach it to ourselves, the more we will remember it, the more we will apply it, the more we will rest in it. Right? The, the call here from Paul in Colossians 3.16 is to constantly be speaking the gospel, to allow the word of Christ to dwell in us 
richly, but also that it would produce wisdom in our lives. And so the call here is not just to be speaking the gospel to one another, but, but to keep pushing one another to the point of gospel wisdom, to constantly be examining our words and thoughts and attitudes to see if we're speaking gospel language or speaking something else altogether that would lead us to something other than the gospel dwelling in us. right? Because our personal stories are all filled with disappointment and brokenness and pain and sin. And our hearts and heads, our minds have been informed by lies and deceits and accusations that originate from sinful places that originate from somewhere other than the gospel, originate from the enemies of God. And so if Paul is telling us to let the gospel dwell in us richly, how can we check ourselves to know that what we're hearing, what we're saying, what we're repeating to one another, what we're thinking is gospel-informed? And so I want to close our time together just by being really practical for a minute. Let's just be practical about this. How can we do this together? And in his book, Gospel Fluency, Jeff Vanderstelt lays out some ways and encourages believers to do this. And he starts by saying that believers need to learn to take captive our thoughts and attitudes and examine them. Because the call of Scripture is to conform our lives to Christ's likeness. Like Romans 12, 2 says, don't be uh, conformed to the image of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So how do we do that? We start by taking a look at the things that, that occupy our minds and asking, uh, are these things Christ-like as we examine them, to take a close look at our thoughts and consider what we are thinking or believing and why. And as we do this to see if our thoughts and attitudes and ideas line up with what is true of Jesus and our life in Him, does it line up with good news or something else? From there, he goes on to encourage believers through the help of the Holy Spirit to to bring these thoughts and attitudes in submission to Jesus. He encourages believers to ask questions like this as we examine our minds. What I'm thinking or feeling or this attitude that I have, this thing that I'm believing, is this really true or is this a lie? Does this sound like the devil's accusation or the Spirit's conviction? What am I putting my hope in now? God's word, God's works, or something else all together? How do the truths of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection address this thought, this belief, this situation, this idea? What about Jesus do I need to remember right now? All right, so it encourages us to examine our thoughts, to, to take them captive for Christ, and then to go one step further and say, what is the fruit we would experience if we engaged a particular thought or action to its logical conclusion? If we play out a thought or idea or attitude, what will that produce in our lives? Will it produce something good? Will it reflect good news? Or will it, predict, or will it produce something else, right? If the fruit doesn't resemble the fruit of the Spirit, is this thing really worth pursuing? Are we really submitted to someone or something else? Right? And that's what we've been doing in the series. We've been asking ourselves the question, what fruit should we see in the life of a disciple if we're being changed by the gospel? 
what fruit should we see in our lives if we are completely submitted to the gospel and the good news of Christ in our lives? We have to realize that it takes effort for the word of Christ, for the gospel to dwell in us richly for it to produce wisdom. It's the work of the Holy Spirit. It's the work of Christ on our behalf. But there is a fight for our minds and the affections of our heart every single day. The war for your mind and your heart is not a passive activity, but an active, vigorous fight. And we fight that fight with the truths of the gospel. As we immerse ourselves in the truth of the gospel, as we learn to interpret all of life through the lens of the gospel, as we learn to apply the gospel to all of life, that's how we fight the battle for our minds and our hearts every single day. As the Spirit makes the truths of Jesus known to us, we've got to hold fast to them. We've got to take cover in them. We've got to let them dwell in us richly and produce what Colossians calls wisdom, but what we're calling here gospel fluency. Right? So, so we take our thoughts captive and examine them closely. We bring them into submission to Jesus. We consider the fruit. We fight back with gospel truths. And we do all this together as brothers and sisters in community, constantly speaking the gospel to one another, constantly rehearsing the gospel to one another, constantly encouraging one another with the gospel in community. Next Sunday, Ben is going to close down this series uh, that we've been going through by focusing on community. That's what he'll be dealing with next week. But it's within community. It's within uh, a, a, a culture of gospel fluency, a culture that repeats the gospel, a culture that rehearses the gospel, a culture that speaks the gospel to one another, a culture that encourages one another with the gospel, that we become gospel fluent, that we learn to understand all of life through the lens of the gospel, of what Christ has done for us in accepting us and changing us and recreating us into who Christ would have us be. So we're going to move forward with a time of response like we do every Sunday here at Redemption. And let me encourage you, though, as we enter this time of response, to sort of take a moment and reflect on what you understand the gospel to be, what more you may need to understand about the gospel, and what steps you might take to immerse yourself in gospel truths, like I believe Colossians 3.16 is calling us to do. As we continue with this time of response, the band's going to come up in a second. They're going to continue to give us the opportunity to, to worship through singing. So they will lead us in some songs. We have an opportunity during this time um, to give. There's a giving basket in the back. Knowing as well that, that we may not all carry a checkbook or cash with us, there's some information back there as well about how to give in other ways, uh, online or whatever it might be. During this time, we have an opportunity to pray and reflect on what God is speaking to us. We have an opportunity to take communion. Uh, we take communion every Sunday at Redemption because Scripture tells us that when we do it, We're remembering the truths of the gospel, and we're proclaiming to one another that we believe it. And so if you're here and you can remember what Christ has done for you and you can proclaim that you do indeed believe it, we would invite you to come and take communion, to walk down these these aisles here, 
and take the bread, dip it in the wine or juice, remember the body of Christ that was broken for us, the blood of Christ that was shed for us, and proclaim to one another that it is good news and that we believe it. So I'm going to pray for us, and we'll move forward with that time of response. God, thank you for this reminder from your word that the gospel is indeed good news. God, thank you for this reminder from your word that the gospel um, affects all of life and everything is changed because of Jesus and what Jesus has done for us. And so even now, Holy Father, as we respond, as we spend some time praying or singing or taking communion or giving, pray that you would continue to be at work in our hearts and minds to draw us to you, to remind us of this good news, to change us by this good news, to give us freedom in Christ by this good news. Holy Father, we thank you that there is good news with Jesus. We thank you that you have provided a way for us to be reconciled to you. Holy Father, we thank you for that. Holy Father, we ask all these things in the name of our Savior, in the name of your precious Son, Jesus.